Here's the good news. God also has a seal. Both right now and during the tribulation period. Did you know that right now you can be sealed by God for all eternity? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Have you noticed the upsurge in satanic performances lately? Satanic. I'm not just talking about darkness. I'm, I'm talking about satanic performances. Here, uh, here is the Grammys on uh, February 5th. Sam Smith came out in a red devil costume, a hat with horns. Sam danced to the song Unholy. Can you believe they have a song called Unholy? While being surrounded by performers wearing red costumes, they all danced seductively as flames surrounded them. Some of them were in cages. Many viewers thought they were peering right into hell itself. A week after the Grammys was the Super Bowl with an even bigger audience. Stunned viewers watched as Rihanna, the uh, halftime show, descended from the sky, surrounded what appeared to be dancing fallen angels. And once again, the occultic overtones were unmistakable. And it's not just happening in America. Last July at the Commonwealth Games in England, Dancers placed fingers on their heads to represent satanic horns as they announced the coming of the horned beast. This led right into a ceremony that can only be described as blatant Baal worship, complete with a woman riding an enormous bull. They had to know this is exactly what Revelation 17.3 prophesies where it says, there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. The scripture goes on to point out that the scarlet beast is the Antichrist, and the woman represents the capital city of the Antichrist empire. Of course, this imagery is nothing new in Europe. Here's the EU headquarters in Brussels deliberately built in the likeness of the Tower of Babel. Globalism didn't work out too well back in Genesis 11, did it? But that hasn't slowed the Europeans down one bit. The table is being set intentionally for the rise of the beast in Revelation 13, and that beast is going to be the Antichrist. Right on cue, leaders from around the world 
are falling over each other in a mad rush to embrace global government, a global economy, and a global religion. And right outside the EU headquarters is a statue of a woman riding a ball. The Europeans want to make extra sure that you don't miss the satanic symbolism. In 2016, all of Europe's leaders were together for the dedication of the Gotthard Base Tunnel. They had an eight-hour ceremony, all of them there were there, Angela Merkel and the, you know, the leader of France and all of the major nations. They had an eight-hour ceremony at this tunnel featuring the goat man as the star of the show. The goat man represents the occultic deity called Baphomet. Right there in the Swiss Alps, the heads of Europe watched with approval as the people bowed to Baphomet. Meanwhile, here in America, the largest satanic gathering in history happened on April 28th to 30th in Boston, Massachusetts. As the crowds came together to celebrate Satan Khan. Now, none of this should surprise us. This is exactly what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that there would be a tremendous increase in wickedness at the end of the age. He says that in verse 12. But here's the good news. Isaiah 59, 19 says, when darkness, when my enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. That's the good news. The Lord will protect his people. One verse earlier in Isaiah 59, the Bible says, according to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. There is coming a day, Isaiah says, from the west men will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. And the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. You know what, folks? Today is the day to get right with God. Today you can choose to follow Christ with very little pushback. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other will be left. For those who are left behind, Seven years of tribulation will fall upon the earth. And that's detailed in Revelation 6 through 19. It is not going to be easy to follow Christ during that time. But even then, there will be a chance to get right with God. Now today, we're going to look at the greatest spiritual awakening in history. And ironically, it's going to happen at the darkest era in human history. I love Revelation chapter 7 
because it reveals so much about the relentless love of God who continues to extend his hand of grace to a generation that have rejected him. That same grace is available to you today. In Revelation 7, we see four characteristics of God's relentless grace that continues to strive with mankind up until we take our final breath. Characteristic number one of God's relentless grace is that he sees. God sees everything. Nothing escapes his notice. And his angels are everywhere. Verse one says, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Now, in order to understand the setting of this chapter, you have to look back at chapter 6. For in Revelation 6, we have the first set of judgments to fall upon the earth during the first half of the tribulation period. Now, remember, (laughs) the church is going to be raptured to heaven before the tribulation period occurs. Now, maybe you have heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first horseman in verse 2 is riding a white horse. That is, I believe, the Antichrist, and he is full of deception. The second is riding a red horse, representing massive wars. I believe there will be nuclear wars. The third is riding a black horse, representing famine. And the fourth is pale, representing death. In fact, the Bible says a fourth of the population of the earth will die. That would be about two billion people right now. The fifth seal represents large numbers of martyrs who are killed for their faith in Christ. The sixth seal is a huge earthquake, followed by asteroids and meteors striking the earth. Verse 15 tells us that everyone, rich and poor, ran for cover and hid in caves and shelters. And then verse 16 tells us that the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of Jesus Christ himself, is unleashed on the planet. And by the way, this is one of the key reasons the rapture will occur before the tribulation begins. Because, you see, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ. Revelation 3.10 says that we will be kept from the hour of trial that will come upon the earth. The time to get right with God is now. You don't want to be left behind. So the wrath of God is being unleashed here in chapter 6 through the first set of judgments called the seal judgments. And then chapter 7 begins with these words. After this, I saw four angels holding back the four winds. The Apostle John is the author of Revelation, 
So he is the one who saw these angels and they were coming to the rescue. And the reason they were coming to the rescue is because God saw the misery of those who were still alive on the earth and he swung into action to give them one more chance to turn to him. Make no mistake about it. God never slumbers or sleeps. Jesus said in Luke 12, 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whatever you are going through today, God sees it. King David said in Psalm 139, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. I love the story of Hagar in Genesis 16. Do you remember Hagar? Sarah's servant who was given to Abraham to bear a child. So Sarah, uh, uh, Hagar gets pregnant. Sarah is then jealous of her, mistreats her. So Hagar runs out into the desert. No one wants her. She's all alone, nowhere to go. But it's at that moment, with all hope gone, that the angel of the Lord shows up. The, when uh, Many Bible scholars believe when the wording angel of the Lord is used, it's referring to a pre-incarnate, uh, an incarnate before Bethlehem, appearance of Christ. So Jesus appears to Hagar, and he comforts her, and he directs her, and Hagar replies with these words, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Heartland family, God sees you today. Whatever you're going through, he may be sending angels right now to assist you just as he does at the beginning of Revelation 7. Sue and I had an opportunity on Friday afternoon to visit with Elvina, our dear Elvina, and uh, David and Elvina, we are, our hearts are with you today. We're praying for you. And um, we prayed for the angels to come. And you could already feel them in that room with her as she awaits her home going to the Lord. So the first characteristic of God's relentless grace is that he sees. The second characteristic is this that God seals. Verse two says, then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Do you know that God has a seal and that Satan has a seal? So first, let's talk about Satan's seal. 
Most people, even those who know nothing about the Bible, have heard about the mark of the beast, who is the Antichrist. They know it has something to do with the number 666. Maybe you have heard about that. Now, clearly, Satan has his seal. And once you take the mark of the beast, your, your fate is fixed. It cannot be reversed. Revelation 14 says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury. David Jeremiah recently wrote a book called After the Rapture. It's a great book. It is a great book to leave on your kitchen counter, on uh, the coffee table, on your nightstand, so that those in your family will find it. Uh, because it's all about instructions. What do I do now that I miss the rapture? The first chapter is entitled, What on Earth Just Happened? Okay, there's going to be a lot of confusion when millions of people just vanish. There's going to be a lot of confusion on the earth. Chapter 5 is vitally important for those left behind. It's called Don't Take the Mark. The Antichrist is going to devise a system where he can track all economic transactions on the entire planet. We're very close to that right now. In China, they track anyone who posts anything negative about the government, and your social credit score is immediately decreased, and if it continues, they can completely shut you off the, out of the system. You can't buy or sell. You can't, you can't uh, you know, they can restrict you in all sorts of different ways. Now, the forerunner that we're seeing in America today is the system called ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance. Environmental, are you for all the climate change uh, stuff that's going on, okay? Uh, social, are you for the whole gay agenda, the pride festivals, and so on? Uh, governance is do you hire gays in your, your uh, workplace and so forth, okay? Those are the, if your ESG score, your ESG score is why Target was not worried when their stocks dropped and their sales dropped and all of a sudden they're making way less money, but they said, you know what? Our ESG score is just going up like crazy. Okay? They're looking at the long term. Same way with Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, so many businesses. Now what's going to happen is it's a matter of time before this ESG score moves from businesses where it is right now, guess where? To people. Each of us will have an ESG score. I can't imagine how low mine's going to be. <laughs> you know, uh, you guys might have to, uh, you know, uh, feed your pastor the way they used to do it in the old days, you know, bring a chicken and that type of thing. So, now, one of the things that really holds this up, one of the real problems for this system is cash purchases, okay? See, cash, if you buy and sell in cash, it is very difficult to track, and that is one of the reasons that's, 
that's driving this whole mad rush toward a cashless society. You see, the table is being set for all of these prophecies that we see in the book of Revelation to be fulfilled. But folks, there's good news, okay? Here's the good news. God also has a seal, both right now and during the tribulation period. Did you know that right now you can be sealed by God for all eternity? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. When you place your faith in Jesus as your Savior from sin, when you acknowledge him as the Lord of your life, you are sealed by God. You are given his mark. And the proof of that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now you say, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? You know, the proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Out of your life is going to come love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. How do I know that my wife has the fruit of the Spirit? I see it every day. I see it. Okay? Now let me be quick to point out our knowledge is not, well, Jesus said this. He said, by their fruit, you will know them, okay? So, but let me also be quick to point out that our knowledge is not 100% certainty. In fact, right after Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus knows with 100% certainty who's his and who's not, we don't have that same level of knowledge. What Revelation chapter 7 assures us is that even into the tribulation period, God will be continuing to call a people to trust in him, and those that respond, he will seal for all eternity. Now, Sue and I are praying for a lot of our relatives. We don't think are ready to meet the Lord. But it's comforting to me to know there will be another chance even after the rapture. Now this leads right into characteristic number three of God's relentless grace. And that is simply that God saves. Verse four says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all of the tribes of Israel. They were saved by God, and they in turn will save others. It's interesting that of all the people groups on earth, none have been more resistant to the gospel than the Jewish people. Joel Rosenberg reported last November on TBN that there were 23 known followers of Christ when Israel became a nation in 1948. 23. Today, there are 30,000 Messianic Jews in Israel. It may be more. That's, that's a conservative estimate. It could be even up to 50,000, 60,000. 
Joel also cited a recent study by the Southern Baptists that shows that there are 871,000 Americans of Jewish descent, like Mordecai, (laughs) who have acknowledged Jesus as their Messiah. This is the highest number of Jewish believers at any time since Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You see, the revival among the Jews has already begun. And it's going to continue into the tribulation period. Of the Jews left behind at the rapture, 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each tribe, will be sealed by God, and they're going to lead the charge in preaching the gospel. They will be the tip of the spear of the greatest revival in history. Verse 9 says that those who respond will be a great multitude that no one could count. Isn't that exciting? Verse 14 says, these are those that have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Man, that's going to be exciting. I believe this will be happening during the first half of the tribulation period, right after the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, guaranteeing their security for seven years. Now here's what Daniel 9.27 says about the Antichrist. It says, He will confirm a covenant, a treaty, with many, that's Israel, for one seven, seven years. In the middle of the seven, the three and a half year point, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay? This verse right here, is why there has been so much interest today in the rebuilding of Israel's temple. Okay? You hear a lot of people talking about that. Because the temple has to be there during the reign of the Antichrist. Now, we may see the beginning stages of this before the rapture. Or it could be part of the deal that the Antichrist makes with Israel as part of a peace agreement guaranteeing their security. The Antichrist is going to present himself as a man of peace, but it's going to be short-lived. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Jeff Kinley shows us a fictionalized account of what this will look like in his book, Interview with the Antichrist. I love this book. I read it earlier this year. It's a condensed version, an updated version of the Left Behind series. Jeff postulates, and uh, he's just picking a number here or picking a year, but he's just postulating that the rapture occurs in 2030 and the second coming occurs in 2037. And then he presents a very realistic scenario of how this could unfold. And what's amazing is that right in the middle of all this chaos, a great multitude will place their faith in Jesus. Verse 10 says, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. In the original Greek language, the word for salvation 
is soteria. It means to be saved, to be delivered, to be rescued, to find safety, to be made whole, to prosper. Today, that's what God offers you. But many don't have a clue that they need to be rescued. If someone tries to share with them that they're a sinner in need of a savior, they don't want to hear it. They think they're doing just fine on their own. Why do I need God? Jesus told a story about such a man, a rich fool, in Luke chapter 12. This rich fool thought he had many years to live, and one day he said to himself, I'm going to take life easy. It's going to be eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. That's Luke chapter 12, 19. It is a dangerous thing to just sort of blow off God and plead ignorance. All of us are sinners, Pastor Denny included. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and he's only a prayer away. Now this brings us to the fourth characteristic of God's relentless grace, and that is that God sanctifies. The word sanctify means to purify, to cleanse, to set apart for special purposes. Verse 14 tells us exactly what happened to those who were saved by Jesus during the tribulation period. It says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. I love that imagery. Notice the progression here. This happens to anyone who places their faith in Jesus as their Savior. First, your sins are washed away. They're washed away by the blood of Christ so that you are completely clean inside. You are forgiven. Second, you begin serving the Lord and you begin using your gifts. And it's a joy to serve him, to honor him, to bless others. And then third, you begin to enjoy the kingdom of God immediately. Look at verse 15. God protects you by spreading his tent over you. Never again will you hunger or thirst. You are shielded from disaster and crisis. And most important, the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, begins to walk with you and leave you, lead you as, his, as your shepherd. And he is always there, ready at any moment, to wipe the tears from your eyes. Now there is both a promise and a challenge for those who place their faith in Jesus as their Savior. The promise is found in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until Jesus returns. Isn't that good to know? He's not going to leave us stranded. Jesus promises to fight for you. And he wants to, he's going to fight for you all the way until you take your final breath. He will not abandon you, even if you're weak in your faith. 
But there is a challenge. There's a responsibility that we have because the Bible also says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And then it goes on to say, to knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. And then a few verses later it says, Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Jesus will fight for you. But he also wants you to fight, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to keep the faith. I close with this. There's a legend that is told about Satan summoning his demons to consider how best to keep the world on our side. One demon spoke up and said, Oh, Father Satan, send me. I will tell them that there is no God. But Satan replied, They'll never believe you. Most of them know that there is a God. Second demon piped up and said, Oh, send me, Father Satan. I will tell them that there is no heaven and there is no hell. Satan shook his head. He said, I just don't think that that's going to do. They know there has to be life after death. Then there was a slight pause before a third demon spoke up and said, Father Satan, I know what to do. Send me. I will tell them that there is a God. And I will tell them that there is a heaven. And I will tell them that there is a hell. But I will tell them there is no hurry to decide. And Satan said, Ah, you got it. That's the best plan of all. No hurry. You have a lot of time to make your choice. Meanwhile, Satan has other demons, and they're keeping us preoccupied. Now, uh, you could call them weapons of mass distraction, okay? Now, maybe you have heard of WMDs, weapons of mass destruction, okay? Well, Satan has found something even more deadly. He just wants to bury us in trivia. <laughs> you know? A lot of this is found on our screens. We love our screens, don't we? And before you know it, folks, you can fritter away several hours with hardly even realizing it. If Satan can't tempt us to sin, he'll lull us to sleep and he'll numb us on mindless entertainment. This is exactly how Jesus portrays the time of the rapture in Matthew 24. All of this sort of mundane activity going on. Jesus said they'll be eating and drinking and marrying and working in the fields and, you know, working at the mill. And, and then suddenly, 
one is taken and one is left. That's why Jesus repeatedly challenges us, keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour. Be alert. Pay attention. Watch for the signs. Invest your time wisely for the glory of God. Are you doing that? 